You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. As Lester mentioned, we have Teen Challenge with us uh, here this morning, so I just want to give a bit of a further intro, but uh, before I do, just got to let you guys know there's been a few changes this morning, and uh, John from Teen Challenge was actually supposed to speak today, uh, bring some scripture and the word of God, and... uh, he couldn't make it this morning, so um, Brett's actually jumped in and, and doing that part of it, as well as uh, uh, program coordinator uh, Jenna Lynn was supposed to kind of give an update, and Israel's going to do that for us this morning. So uh, we appreciate a, a little bit of leniency and some grace and mercy, I guess, as we roll through this morning uh, with, with some testimonies from Teen Challenge and a program update. Um, uh, so Israel, if you want to come on up. Uh, he's going to share a little bit about about what Teen Challenge does and what's taking place in the ministry and program uh, these days. And then uh, Chris and Tony will share their, their testimonies after that. And uh, and then Brett will bring the word of God for us in a, in a message this morning too. So just let me pray and then I'll turn it over to you guys. Father, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace and mercy, Lord, uh, which has been abundant in so many ways already. And, and God, just... Um, Thank you for being able to, to worship and gather like this, God, uh, to hear testimonies of life change, of, of how you are at work, God, and how you have worked in, in lives. And, and Lord, would you just um, continue to, to guide us, to bless us, may your spirit be alive this morning, God, as your word is preached even and declared this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. Thank you for having this morning. Um, Thank you for having us this morning. We are all honored to be invited to share all the amazing things God has continued to do with us this past year at the Okanagan Men's Center. This past year, we have added an extension to our ministry called Love Reigns. This is a horse-assisted ministry where we have men in the program as well as kids from the community come and ride and take care of the horses as part of their healing. The men in the program take this opportunity to be mentored by Norm and Ernie. Ernie and Norm spend two afternoons a week with the men, with the and with the kids at Love Reigns, riding, talking, praying, encouraging, and enjoying the fresh baking that Mary, Ernie's wife, also sends along. It is working to a very valuable time of ministry with the men. In the spring, Love Reigns director Norman Joanne Bonk were approached by the Thrive After School Care with a request to have the after school kids attend Love Reigns to experience horse care, riding, and outdoor activities. It has been nothing but amazing to see God working in the lives of kids with the horses. We also had the kids all, uh, all summer, four days a week. Each one has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. This past year, we've also been prompted by the urgency of dying people to step outside our walls by faith. We have opened a community office in Williams Lake, BC, where we are seeking the lost in that community. We want to not only mentor and counsel people in recovery, but to remove all the boundaries from someone getting into the program. This past week, we've had our first female student enter the Surrey Women's Center from the Williams Lake Office Connection. At Teen Challenge, we're always looking for ways to support the cost of our ministry. We do things like firewood processing and sales, vehicle donation program, yard maintenance, and many other things. And with our Williams Lake office, this is no different. We started in the same space as a community office, a thrift boutique for women and children, women and children also offering consignment. If you, have, if you have any new or gently used women's fashions and accessories you want to donate, please contact Janelyn at the office. I can give you her number if you're interested in that program. Just one other thing I wanted to update on just because it has been such a miracle. One year ago, we put an offering on the Center for Women in Surrey as we were being asked to leave our current women's center we leased in Abbotsford as we were on agricultural land. We had two extremely huge hurdles to overcome. One, the $2.7 million price tag. We had no money set aside for this project. 
two, the city of Surrey told us in no uncertain terms, don't even bother coming here with your supportive recovery home. You'll never get approved to be in Surrey. They had actually written into their bylaws that no more supportive recovery houses were allowed to in the city. Well, once again, we took a step of faith. With prayer and petition, we asked God that this is his will for us. We felt we needed to move forward. First, we had 2.2 million raised in six weeks so we could make an offer. This was from a few donors who wanted the women to have this amazing facility as their home. Second, put forth all our paperwork, came before the city council and passed all four sections. Readings in one meeting before we offered expired. It was truly something behold. God was in every step. We took possession August 14, 2020. The, mo the women moved into the February, moved in February of 2021, and we dedicated the building and did a ribbon cutting ceremony at our at our building. A few weeks ago, on August 14th, we also burned the mortgage after raising an additional $600,000 by the mortgage maturity date one year later. We come here to encourage the believers in their faith. Paul talks about it in Romans 1:12. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. We thought that we'd give a few men a chance to give their testimonies this morning and see what God's doing in their lives. So I'm going to call up Tony and Chris. Hello, I'm Tony Goulet, I'm 27 years old, from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Anybody been to Winnipeg? Raise a hand. Yeah? I feel sorry for you. <laughs> I stepped off the plane here last September and I looked and I saw the mountains and driving down the road and I thought, wow, you guys are blessed. It's amazing. Um, growing up, I'm a third generation addict in my family. Uh, my grandpa drank whiskey, smoked for 40 years so he had to get a triple bypass. Then he uh, lived a life to the Lord. My dad, a 15-year crack addict and alcoholic. Uh, growing up with him, he was an addict till I was about 13 years old. Then he finished this program in Winnipeg, which is a harder program. Uh, yeah, he finished the program. I got adopted by a family for, for a year, and when he came back, he was a, he was a changed man. Uh, hasn't touched a drop of anything since. So it's, uh, I've seen that program work for him. But I still had a lot of anger in my heart. Growing up, I grew up alone a lot. My dad locked himself in his room doing, doing dope. And I uh, grew up angry, fighting at school and getting into trouble, just smoking cigarettes even at a young age, at the age of nine, and uh, starting to smoke weed when, I was, uh, when he just finished the program too. Um, so he ended up meeting a woman when he finished the program. And Gave a lot of attention to her. I got jealous, kind of, I left my house, uh, moved in with a buddy. Then my partying started to escalate. Uh, started doing ecstasy at the age of 17. Started doing it nearly every day. That's continued to go on for 10 years. Um, yeah, when I left house, I uh, went through college. But I met a met a guy that was selling me drugs that I looked up to. Uh, I never had had much of a dad growing up, so I looked up to him as a dad. And uh, I dropped out of college to sell dope for him. And I just kept going farther and farther down the rabbit hole. Uh, it got to the point where my addiction of ecstasy and marijuana just controlled my life. Uh, I was uh, just a bum selling drugs out of his apartment. Didn't seem like I had much hope for my life. Uh, before I came here, I had two suicide attempts, and I just came here. It was my last 
my last stand, uh, I figured, you know, give it a try. When I got to the program, it wasn't really what I expected. I, I should have known, but uh, it was a bit uh, more hardcore than I thought it would be. But uh, yeah, I, I continued to do it for the first two months. I did it on my own, on my own accord, my own strength. That didn't work out too well. I ended up burning out at the at the two month mark. And while these guys were uh, at movie night on Saturday, I was proceeding to pack my stuff. And I was going to take a plane back to Winnipeg. And uh, I had a plan to just die and use, and that would be that. But uh, I had a Bible sitting on my nightstand that my dad got me. And I was reading Mark 9. It's about a demon-possessed boy who uh, ends up being mute and being possessed. And there's a verse that's in there. uh, Well, before I read the verse, I, I cried out to God. And I said, I can't do this on my own anymore. I need you. I need uh I need some help, and uh, yeah, I, just, uh, I felt filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I sat there crying like a little girl for probably uh, close to an hour, uh, and it was good. And, and after that, I, I read this verse that said, uh, to all who believe, you can do it. I don't, uh, I don't have it memorized, but it was good. Uh, yeah, since, uh, since that mark, and, and I decided to stay, I learned to do things uh relying on God more and more every day. I've been uh, been a lot more peaceful and content with God in my life, even when things weren't going the right way. And uh, and when I felt like running still and leaving and, you know, using and just forgetting my problems, just uh, it got better and better. And, uh, yeah, I'm uh, 11 days away from grad or from finishing a year. And I uh, wouldn't have been able to do without God. Yeah, so uh, in a nutshell, that's been my life. And uh, God is good, man. Yeah, right on. That's it. Yeah. Hello. Uh, my name is Christopher Sura Johnson. I am coming up on my ninth month now at uh, Adult and Teen Challenge Okanagan Men's Center. Um, I started last September 16th. I've had, a, I've had to leave a couple times um, just because of uh, problems I've had with authority and uh, um, just a few things. I'll explain that later, but I'll share a little bit about myself. Uh, I was born in Toronto, 1984, Mount Sinai Hospital. Um, my dad was away working most of the time in my first probably six years. Uh, he was in Florida a lot. I was, uh, as I was told by my mother, he was, uh, you know, he was a construction project manager, so he was building towers. He built, helped build Hazelton Lanes in Toronto and some other big builds, and so he was quite caught up in his work. And my mother. Uh, uh, was um, yeah, she was raising pretty much at home raising uh, my sister and I, who's 26 months younger than me, my sister Leanne, and um, yeah, mom was a uh, mom was a refugee from she uh, defected from Czechoslovakia in 1969 uh, to Austria and got out of there uh, through the Canadian embassy in Austria. Um, to Toronto as a refugee. She got accepted as a refugee. 
So as you can imagine, there was some history there with her family. She had a lot of disappointment. She didn't have much family left when she left, just a brother and some cousins and stuff. But um, my dad came from a uh, an American family. Grandfather was a Iwo Jima veteran, Marine, U.S. Marine. So as you can imagine, there was not, neither of them were believers either. So there was uh, a lot of different stuff going on in the house. I witnessed my dad have his first nervous breakdown when I was eight years old and uh, visited him in the mental hospital shortly after that, which was a very weird time for me. And um, my mother, uh, being Czech at all, <laughs> if anybody knows about that area of the world, uh, she, you know, she liked to have her drinks, right? So, um, yeah, so I grew up in that kind of environment. And by the age of 11 or 12, I didn't know where to find my uh, identity. Uh, the strong dad that I thought I was supposed to have, you know, that false expectation a child had and through um, my exposure to the media, you know, watching Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jean-Claude Van Damme and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I sought out to be a strong man, uh, and I didn't know how to find that. And... Uh, yeah, there was, uh, you know, there was lots of discord in the house and violence and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I witnessed violence in school. And, um, yeah, this kid was listening to a gangster rap album, if anybody knows Dr. Trey, Dr. Dre the Chronic. And that was the first gangster rap album I saw, and I thought it was really cool. And so, as you can imagine, I got quite influenced by uh, uh, the idolatry of those artists uh, and their uh, messages. And uh, so I started selling... Uh, marijuana in grade eight, and it made me feel important. People wanted to be around me. I had something they wanted. Gave me a false sense of security. And yeah, there was other uh, there was other uh, variables, uh, stuff in the house that uh, wasn't very godly taking place. So I grew up in a you know in my teen years, a very uh, kind of angry, rebellious kid. Uh, you know, involved in criminal lifestyle. When I turned 18, people were asking for other stuff, so I moved on to bigger and better things. And by the time I was 21, I had a hopeless uh, cocaine addiction. I thought I was hopeless. And uh, a client of my mother offered to come and do an intervention. And I was like, no, no, no. But a couple weeks later, they ended up coming. And uh, it was a Christian man, and he told me about a place uh, in Langley that uh, would take me in for free because I wasn't I didn't want uh, my mom to put up ten thousand dollars for another place that had about a two percent success rate um, and long story short you know I said God religion uh, it's used to manipulate the masses cause wars I grew up with a grandmother who was quite religious she prayed at the table but drink right and um, so I didn't know what to think of it but a couple weeks later I fell so hard again that I decided I would go I was there for a week and while I was there, they told me if I confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I'd be saved. So I thought, I thought what do I have to lose, right? Uh, so I did. I said it. And uh, I thought some big thing would happen, but it didn't. But I, I kept reading the book of Proverbs. I left after a week. I got scared, right? I had um, worldly interests still, of course. I wasn't at my end. And uh, about six, seven years later, I uh, almost died. I got in a lot more trouble with the law. I um, had my first prison uh, sentence or remand uh, sentence, and a man bailed me out. He was running a recovery house in Victoria, Christian man, and he knew the same guy that told me about Jesus about five years before. He actually 
discipled him into becoming a pastor and stuff off the street. And so, um, yeah, this man took me in, and I wasn't quite ready to surrender. I was serving out a conditional sentence in the community. But uh, shortly after I left that house, I uh, got back in the same relationship I was in, almost died. I was in the hospital, got in more trouble with the law. And then I ran into him shortly later, um, just before I went to Vancouver to clean up. And I was doing the whole God of my own understanding, AA stuff, because I didn't know. I was like, what am I supposed to imagine? Some guy in the sky? I don't know. But uh, two years into it, uh, being sober, I realized, you know, I didn't have the ability to change through the God of my own understanding. And through some answers to prayer, uh, I started reading the scriptures. And about a year into that, this man whom I'd met at the recovery house told me about, uh, kept calling me up talking to me about Jesus, and I was like, this must really be real, and uh, long story short, I ended up in a prison cell again, and I realized I was causing Christ's name to be blasphemed amongst unbelievers because of the way I behaved in the courtroom, and uh, he told me over the phone, he said, you know what Christ did 2,000 years ago is enough to forgive you, and I said, yeah, it really hit my heart at that time, I heard it before, but it really hit my heart at that time. And uh, so that night in my jail cell, I, I, um, I just recognized his sovereignty, and I, I, uh, I, was, I told him I was sorry uh, for causing his name to be blasphemed. I was told about the godly sorrow verse and the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And I told him I was sorry for hurting him and causing his name to be blasphemed, and I just thanked him for his forgiveness. And uh, this, this peace filled me. And I knew at that moment, because I'd been reading the scriptures a lot, that I'd been looking for the love of God my whole life, and I didn't know it. And I finally had eternal life. And all that peace I was chasing after through people, places, and things uh, wasn't uh, quite, I was missing the mark, right? So anyways, seven years later, eight years later, I ended up uh, here at Adult and Teen Challenge because I uh, had some anger and bitterness issues. And... uh, I didn't listen to my congregation in Victoria, and uh, I, I essentially rejected Christ three times because they applied Matthew 18 with me, and I went off tangent for a good six, seven months. It was an extreme breaking, but I'm grateful that uh, he's never given up on me, and he never will. He's promised that, and so now at Adult and Teen Challenge, I'm learning to uh, subject myself uh, to authority better and to submit to God fully, and uh, be available for him that he can work through me more and more. So thank you for listening. Blessings to all of you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's turn to him. Let's pray. Father, Father, you, your love is so amazing, so overwhelming, it it puts us on our knees, it puts us on our face, recognizing that you love us so intensely, so with such purity. And Father, we, we want to experience that love 
Once again, we want to come under your word and, and read about that love once again. We want to be filled with that love that we might offer it to others. We want to be changed by that love. That we would never be the same. That we would be more like you. Thank you for the love of Jesus Christ that breaks the bonds and chains of addictions, that sets the captive free, that, that makes the blind to see, that heals, Lord. Thank you for that love that is most perfectly displayed in the cross and in the grave. We offer up our lives to you, and we look forward to what you are going to do in and through us today. We pray. Amen. Amen. Well, on Friday, I had as many notes for this sermon as you do in your pamphlet, so um, that's what you get, and, but um, that's okay, because we know that God's word is powerful, and we do not come here for the wise words of some young buck like me. We go to the word of the Lord, and we seek his will. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 43 to 48. I don't know why, but this is where the Lord led me as of 7.30 p.m. yesterday. <laughs> we are looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. And this is a short, and, uh, short passage about loving your enemy. And we've been uh, listening this morning about men who have overcome things that they felt was a hopeless pursuit in their life, things that they thought and they realized they could not overcome on their own strength. And here we are, all on the same playing field, at the same level when it comes to this category of love, loving our enemy. This is not something that we're going to do in our own strength. This is something that we all need to look to the Lord for. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48, I'll read it. <clears throat> you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Sorry, we're just going to stop at 47 there. Loving your enemy. I, I think there's two responses we have to this. We, we feel like we're doing this well up until a certain point, and then we just go, that, and beyond that is hopeless. I don't think I can love my enemies. But we do think we do this okay sometimes. We think we're okay at this sometimes. Let's be honest, in our hearts of hearts, we sometimes even twist loving our enemies. And this is, this is sometimes a passage that we pass over because we're, we're nervous about it, we're scared of it. But... Sometimes the way that we love our enemies isn't really love, is it? It's passive-aggressive love. It's uh, love them from a distance, quote-unquote, or 
Really, what that means is code for avoiding them, love. We love them with stipulations. We love our enemies with caveats. We love them by looking down on them condescendingly or by trying to be better than them. None of these things are love, are they, really? Yet God calls us to love our enemies. This passage is not taking us to the world's standard for love, but God's high calling of loving. This passage is taking us much further than these shallow, misled, and fake versions of loving our enemies. It's asking us to go much deeper. So we are going to have to seek out the Lord today if we are going to love our enemies. I don't preach this from a passage of having sat here and understood this to the fullness of my own life. I come under God's word with you today and go, Lord, help me in this. There are four words used for love in the scriptures. You might have heard this before. If you don't know this, such a worthwhile study. But one of the words being translated uh, for love is this word agape, which is the word that we're looking at, loving our neighbor with agape love, sometimes called godly love, a love that is well-pleased with its subject. That's how it's described. Are you well-pleased with your enemies is the question today. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 gives some greater description to this kind of love as he sees it. He says this, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. We're familiar with this passage and often we um, read that passage uh, so often it's, it's, it's being read at weddings and, and maybe it's even read in, in situations of friendliness and stuff like that but looking at that passage and thinking about enemies a new level, a new difficulty a new challenge this is how we are to love our enemies and that word enemies, let's be honest how many times do you really use the word enemies well, I mean we see it throughout scripture but the word enemy is not really a word that we're using very often because we, when we picture it, we, you know what I picture when I hear the word enemy? I picture someone with like a hunched back and like a black mustache who's trying to chase down a moose and a squirrel, okay? That's what I picture for my Rocky and Bullwinkle fans. That's what we picture when we hear enemy, but l- let's be honest. Jesus was not picturing that. He was looking at his disciples and he's saying, we all have enemies. Maybe you don't call them an enemy. Maybe you, you don't, we don't have invading kingdoms like the Jews and the ancient Israelites, but we still have enemies. People who stand up for things we stand against. People who say things in just that one way, just that one way they say it just irks us so much. It gets our, it grinds our gears. People who, we're just kind of waiting for them to say that one thing because, man, have I got to come back. People like this, our enemies, they can be our coworkers or our bosses. Our enemies could be church members, siblings, parents, old friends. Our enemies could be people who just stand for something that you stand against. The world continues to try and camp us in different kingdoms that war against each other, kingdoms of left and right up and down, red and blue, freedom and duty. There's all sorts of kingdoms out there that we try and align with and it ends up that we have enemies. And Jesus is calling us to a higher calling of love, a heavenly kingdom, 
one where our love is sourced from something beyond this world, a love that isn't easily tripped or cut off, a love beyond our own personal limits. And we see this in his character. We see that as Jesus goes to different people, as he interacts with them, we see he has this kind of love. And so our prayer today, our prayer is like, Jesus, teach me to love people the way you love people. Teach me, help me, empower me, enable us. You have called us to love our enemies. And we long to be like you. So there's three things that I see in here. We are to love our enemies to be like our Father. We are to love our enemies um, like our Father. One's in order to be like our Father. One is in the way like our Father. And then the last one is beyond worldly standards. So would you look with me at verse 45? It says in verse 44, but, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And, and this isn't a passive-aggressive prayer. This is an actual like asking on their behalf kind of prayer, not like praying your enemies will lose necessarily, but praying for them, for their good even sometimes. And, and then in verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now this phrase, it's not saying that you... Um, that if you love your enemies, then you will be saved. It's not saying that if you fail to love your enemies, then you can't be a child of God, because we will fail at this, and we are failures at loving our enemies. We struggle at this. It's saying that the end goal of loving our enemies is that we might be like our Father in heaven. That's what this is saying. The end goal of loving our enemies is so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. This is the end goal, that we would love like God loves. And this is the question as we, as we face this, because we do, we face enemies and we, and we struggle with loving them. The question is, what are you in pursuit of? What are we in pursuit of when we love others, when we love our enemies? If the end goal is not to be like the Father, I, I see in here and I, I see in my own life and my own testimony that we will fail. Are you trying to love your enemies with another goal in mind? The goal is not converting your enemies. The, girl, the goal is not heaping burning coals on their head. Do you know that verse? There's a verse in the Bible that says like, if you do good to your enemies, it's like heaping burning coals on your head. I loved that as a teenager. I had so much angst, and it was so great to just look at that passage and be like, when someone's mean to me, I'm going to do something nice to them. I thought I was being all sassy and cool. Like, I'm going to do something nice to them because that will really get them. I said I had angst. I didn't say I was cool, all right? <laughs> I used to do this. I used to think, I'll just do something really nice. But that passage isn't saying that that's the goal of doing something nice. It's saying that's the effect. The effect of doing good to your enemies is heaping burning coals. But it's not saying that's your motivation. It's not saying, like, go do something good just in case you don't have any heaping bur like burning coals around. But we, 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 we twist this in our lives. We just twist this in, a, in the inner parts of our hearts because we, we, we struggle to love our enemies. But we need to love our enemies so that we would look more like God, that we would be like our Father in heaven. And this is just classic Jesus. This is just classic how he teaches us. You see, we, we look to passages like this. Jesus says, love your enemies. And you're like, okay, Jesus, now tell me how. I need a life hack for this one. This is a really tough one. I need to know what is the life hack for loving my enemies. But Jesus is not about life hacks. He's about holiness. When it comes, you know, when it comes to speaking in public, 
like this, if you're suddenly called up the night before and you have to do something like this, they always tell you to picture your, uh, your audience as if they're in their underwear. Don't worry, that's not what I'm doing this morning. That's not what I'm doing. Um, and they say that's the, the hack, right, in order to get through it. Picture your audience in your underwear. And so we're going, okay, Jesus, what's the hack for loving my enemies? Do I just need to pity them? Do I need to empathize my enemies? Do I need to picture my enemies in their underwear? No. Jesus is not teaching us a life hack. He's teaching us to pursue holiness. He's not saying to change your focus on your enemies and shift how you see them. Instead, he's saying, stop focusing on your enemies. Focus on God. Pursue him. Do this so that you may be sons of your father. This doesn't even say changing your enemies or seeing them differently. This is what this is saying is love your enemies so that you may be more like God. The key to loving our enemies is, is to make godliness our pursuit, not influence our pursuit. To make Christ-likeness our pursuit, not our best self our pursuit. We cannot love the way Jesus loves by looking inward. We cannot love the way that Jesus loves his enemies by just hoping for the best and keep trying. You must long to be like God. You must long to be like him. There, there, there are, you can, you can, it's not that empathy is not important. Empathy matters, but it is not the end goal. The end goal is that we might look like God, be like our Father. You see, what happens is we struggle with our enemies. We struggle with those around us. We struggle to love because we're doing it for the wrong end goal. We're trying to have the wrong end in mind. And what we should be pursuing of what we should be going for is to be like our Father who is in heaven. And how does it describe God's love? This is where we go next. One is, the, the first thing is, yes, we want to be like our Father. But we want to also love like our Father. We want to not just pursue Him as the end goal, but also as the means for love. And this is how it describes His love. In verse 45, in the second part, it says, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. God loves his enemies, regardless of whether they are good or evil, righteous or unrighteous. He loves on them. He showers them with rain and, and sun. And, and this is an agricultural society. This, this is the reason why they're saying the sun and the rain there is because he's making the point that God was providing for both the good and the evil, the righteous and the unrighteous. The, the sun and the rain would cause the crops to grow that they might be able to eat and provide for their families. He provides the sun and the rain for those he loves. And similarly, we are to love our enemies in such a way that we would even take care of their needs. But let's take note of something, because the, the, there, is a, there is a fear of loving our enemies, a fear and a risk of loving our enemies, and that risk is that we're, we're taking the risk that if we love our enemies, maybe we are condoning their behavior, right? If we love our enemies, aren't, aren't I just being complicit? Aren't I just endorsing what they're doing? Am I just supposed to pretend like they're not doing the wrong thing? That's not what happens in this passage. In this passage, God pours out his love on the good and the evil. He does not deny that they are evil. He pours out the rain 
on the righteous and the unrighteous. He does not deny that they are unrighteous, but he also does not deny them love. And this is the rub. This is the rub, isn't it? That if I, that if I love my enemies, I'm just going to condone injustice. But we see how Jesus plays this out, don't we? We see how he does this in, in his relationships with people. It's really quite beautiful. Jesus Christ comes down, this rabbi, and the reason why he shocked everyone was because of the types of people he was around, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. And, and I, I love, and in, in, uh, I think I might have shared this before, I love in, in Matthew, with the, the, or the story of Levi, the tax collector. Jesus goes and meets him, and Levi throws a tax collector party, inviting all the people over, and Jesus shows up, and people are accusing him. What are you doing with all these tax collectors? And, and, and he says, they're sick. They need a doctor. Jesus is the kind of guy who gets invited to a party and tells people they're sick and they need a doctor. He loves them enough to show up and be there present with them, and he loves them enough to not deny that they need help. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, he goes to them and he, and he says, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say, you're not a sinner. He says, your sins are forgiven, meaning, yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you are not in right standing with God, but Jesus Christ comes and he says, I will forgive you. You see, the the fear of loving our enemies is that we would condone injustice and evil. But it's it's not that. Loving our enemies is recognizing. It's, It's the old phrase, we've heard it. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Now, it's, a, it's, it's easily said in a short little sentence like that. That sounds like a great fortune cookie, right? It's hard to, be, it's hard to live that out. It's hard to live that out. And that's why you can't just live this out with, with cute sayings and fortune cookies. You have to be in pursuit of being like the Father, in pursuit of being like Him. The end goal cannot be fixing them or fixing yourself. It has to be holiness, godliness, a pursuit of him. In the sovereign grand scheme of life, we have to admit that the most precious being is God. Amen? He is the most precious being ever. And in this passage, when we see that God is the sovereign one who raises the sun and causes the rain, and we see the evil and the good, the unrighteous and the righteous, You see, Jesus is getting his disciples and he's getting our eyes off the idea that your enemies are just your enemy. Because when when sin happens, when tragedy happens, when injustice happens, when evil happens, yes, it happens against us, but first and foremost, it happens against the most most precious being in all of creation. And And the most precious being in all of creation isn't you and I. It's God. And that's a hard reality to face. It's a hard and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a mind-boggling view of the fact that God is the one who, is, who the greatest injustice has been done against. But when we put him as the goal, when we seek to be like him, we recognize that if God can cause the rain and the sun on those who have so unjustly treated the most precious being in all of creation... Who is the one we need to run to for learning how to love our enemies? It's him. It's him. 
And by the way, if you're thinking about and trying to assess whether or not an offense is an, if it's not an, I'll say this, if it's not an offense against God, it might just be your ego. This is an important thing to, for us to think about because sometimes we'll label someone an enemy when really we need to be careful. They might be your enemy, but they might not be enemies of God. And, and, and I, I'll say it this way. I have pride. <laughs> I have an ego. Sometimes I'm not offended by the same thing that God is offended by. Can we agree that we sometimes are a little more sensitive <laughs> because we just don't want someone to take our pride down. We don't want someone to take us down a notch. And this is, this is important because when we fix our eyes on ourselves and finding justice for ourselves and we stop pursuing justice for the name of God, we will struggle to love. So if God can cause the rain and the sun on the good and the evil, the righteous and the unrighteous, then let's turn to him and ask that he would help us to love our enemies. And this is where we kind of are getting to our third point here. The last verse 46 says, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? What reward do you have? How are you any different? Jesus isn't saying love your enemies so you get a reward, by the way. We're not all, we're not doing it for that participation trophy. By the way, you, we, we, you've heard about participation trophies. I heard about a school down in the States that um, gave out golden um, golden awards to everybody who came. And, and even the winner got a, the winner got a golden, you know, little statue for, for being there. And then the guy who showed up late and didn't even participate got a golden statue. And, and you hear about these things and, and I get it. I, I get the value of, of showing general love to everyone, but I'm a competitive guy. I'm just going to be honest. I like to win. All right. Don't even face me in Pictionary. You have no chance. Okay, Becca and I are a solid team, never lost once, at least not to a fair fight, okay? Um, no, I, I love to win, and, uh, and I like, to, uh, I, I like to, to pursue and, and challenge. And, and, and this passage talks about award, and it's not really the award as much as it's the pursuit and the challenge that, that Jesus is focusing on. He's saying when... When we don't pursue to go greater and beyond the world's standards of love, when we settle for participation trophy, le earthly levels of love, we cheapen the love that God has. We cheapen his love. We need to pursue enemy love, which is so strange. But we do, don't we? Because what we see in the world is we see, just like Jesus says, do not even the tax collectors do the same? Even, and, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Everybody loves people who are like them. Everybody loves people who are similar to them, that, that fall under the same category of them. That is the lowest standard. That is the participation trophy level of love. 
What reward do you have if you love those who love you, is what Jesus said. He's calling us to a higher pursuit, a higher calling. And I think as Christians, as believers, we know that we have been called to above earthly standards. We are heavenly people. If we are, have surrendered our life over to God, we are not to believe that we can do this in our power, that if God's power is strong enough, if God is powerful enough to change lives, to heal the sick, to make the blind to see, could God not help you and I in loving our enemies? Everywhere we look in the world, they love people who are like them. But we need to yearn for an otherworldly love. We need to compete for an otherworldly love. We need to compete and, and face the challenge that the world has set before us. Not settle for a participation trophy level of love in this earth, but to seek out the Lord and to seek to love like he loves there's so many things that we strive for, so many things we put effort into, invest in, we sacrifice and diligently do uh, work and we work hard over hours and stay up all night for influence and material, for money and real estate. We work so hard to keep people loving us, but the believer, us as those who are like Jesus Christ, our pursuit is to be greater at loving better. That is where we are to sacrifice, seek diligently, put in long hours, strive that we might be more like God in his love. Because here's the reality. The reality is that we were the enemies of God. Romans 5 says that. We were the enemies of God. We were the ones that his love had to be poured out onto, that he had to love his own enemies, you and I. We were enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That's what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Jesus endured the cross because he sought to go above the human standards, the participation trophy standards of love. He didn't just die for his friends. He died for his enemies, you and I. You and I are our shortcoming in not only loving others, but in so many other ways we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In so many ways. And we needed to be rescued. We needed an otherworldly type of love. And that otherworldly type of love wasn't just a love that you might get a golden ticket to heaven but that you might have access to that love yourself. Me, I, I, I read this passage and I immediately came to the end and realized of where my love stops and where God's love continues. And I think we all get there, sometimes in short moments and sometimes in long thoughts. We get to that point where we realize God loves way beyond I do. That's not a place of despair. That's a place where we get on our knees. That's a place where we go to scriptures. That's a place where we run to the gospel. That's the place where we say, I believe, God, that you have the power to extend my love for others. Not only to those near me, but even my enemies. And that's our pursuit. That we might grow in love. That's our calling. And so we are going to sing a song Lord, I need you. And 
this is going to be our heart cry. Because if we are going to love our enemies, it's not going to be through fortune cookie ideas, but in needing of the Lord's work powerfully through his Holy Spirit in our lives to love our enemies. So would you stand with us? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for it, how it directs us and guides us, leads us to the end of ourselves. Help us, O Lord, to turn to you. Not to look at earthly standards of love, but to look to your heavenly love, which so abundantly poured out in the person of Jesus Christ and in his blood, his sacrifice. Lord, this man, this, each of us, we have no hope for loving others in our own strength. We need you. We need you to move through your Holy Spirit. We need you to convict our hearts. We need you to lead us away from a, a low standard, shallow version of love. Help us, O oh God, to love our enemies. Help us, O oh Lord, to see how you, the most precious being, love your enemies. Lead us away from ego. Lead us away from pride. May we love like you love. Help us, O oh Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.